have cancer, so you go to the doctor, and he prescribes cough medicine for the cough that's associated with the cancer. An improper treatment, to be sure, but that's what we want to do when it comes to our spiritual condition. We'll talk about that next. Join us. Our condition, spiritually speaking, is very serious. It's quite grave. We're at enmity with God. We are dead in our sins, and we are under His judgment and wrath. So why would we settle for something less than a full-blown gospel wherein we are redeemed and saved utterly and completely? Welcome to Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse from Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. Guilty as charged is the title of our series. We're in Romans chapter 3. We would invite you to join us there. Only before we see the seriousness of our condition can we see the magnificence of grace that's afforded to us in Christ. For the details, here's Pastor Steve Converse. The Bible doesn't call us sick. (laughs) You know what it calls us? Dead. We're not sick, we're dead. I mean, there's a big difference there. Would you, would you say so? I mean, you know, you go to see the hospital, somebody to see somebody in the hospital and they're sick. You know, you go in and if you go in there and the bed's empty and the doctor goes, oh, no, they're dead. Big difference, right? I mean, you're not going to, your, your prayers are going to change a little bit. You're going to be thinking, well, how can I minister to the family and everything? You know, that guy's dead. I mean, they're, they're gone. They're, they're where they're going to be. You wouldn't say, well, wait a minute. No, call the doctor back in. You know, give him something else. No, he's dead. The person's dead. There's nothing nobody can do. That's how Scripture describes us. As long as someone is merely sick, listen to this, the situation is not hopeless. There's always hope. You can be really, 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 really sick. But you know what? With today's medicine, today's doctors, and all the technology and research, there, there might be a chance. Yeah, the odds may be against you, but still, there, there could be a chance. And we've all heard stories of people that have, have broken through the odds and come out and, boy, they live a, a wonderful life today. And yet, they were on death's door one day. And even the doctors thought, boy, nothing, we can't do anything. But somehow, they came through it. So there's always hope, as long as you're, you're just sick. <laughs> Maybe they'll get better. Maybe they'll survive. But see, according to these verses and others, apart from the grace of God, a person is not just spiritually sick, they're dead. They're dead. And that's the uniqueness of the Bible's teaching. See, there's basically three views of the human nature. There's three views throughout history. One is that man is well. That man is well. That's the optimistic view. You know, they they may disagree on how well man is exactly, but, you know, for the most part, man's a pretty good person. Perhaps he may not be as well as he could be, but he's still well. The second view, that man is sick. This is kind of the pessimistic view. They'll agree that man is sick. There's something wrong with him. All you have to do is look around, read the news, watch the news. Man may be acutely sick, critically sick, mortally sick, but you know what? Somehow there's still a little bit of good there. Somehow we're going to turn this thing around. See, the first view holds that eventually man will get his act together and, and, you know, we feel that there's enough good in man. Man is well enough that eventually all these things, they're going to work out their own problems. They're going to evolve to a certain state. And the second view is that that man is sick and yet, you know what, still he's he's going to be able to with evolution going on and all this stuff, you know, that that we know is so true today. uh, 
disease will be conquered, wars will end, all this strife will end because man will just, you know, even though he's slightly flawed, he's sick, he'll work it out. Well, neither one of those views is biblical. The third view is the only view that is biblical. That man is dead. That he's dead. That's the view the Bible presents. That humans are not well. They're not even sick. They're dead. And we are so dead that we are unable to do anything to please or understand or seek God. We are as God declared us we would be when he warned Adam and Eve in the garden. When he warned them against eating the tree of knowledge of good and evil, he said to them, you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will what? Surely die. Genesis 2.17. Our first parents did eat of it, and they died. And that is true of us. As Paul wrote in Ephesians 2 verse 1, we are dead in our trespasses in sin. Of ourselves, we are unable to respond to God just like any corpse in a funeral home would be unable to respond to you if you told it to do something. Now, as we look at this, we're going to look at four areas We're basically just going to get through the the first one today, the sinful heart. Because when you think of the corruption of man and the human depravity, the total depravity of man, it all starts right there in the heart. And that's what he says in verse 10, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. That speaks to our moral nature. It speaks to our moral nature. The Bible indicates that something has gone afoul with man's heart, that it's corrupt, that the inner being of man is vile, it's wretched, it's filthy. And the Bible says that out of your heart comes what? What you do, what you say, what you think. He says there's none righteous, no, not even one. That's right out of Psalm 14, beloved. The first three verses there. Nobody is righteous. That's what Romans is all about. Who's got righteousness and who doesn't? It's real easy. Nobody's got righteousness except God. And the only reason we have any righteousness is because he gave it to us. That word righteous, there's none righteous. It's not, you know, you don't have to learn Greek to understand what it means. You really don't. It's pretty simple. It's not good, okay? It means bad. Um, He's saying nobody is good. I I think of that word, and I remember talking to a skater guy one day down at Red Morton Park. And uh, I don't know how we started talking about the Lord and whatever. And and every time I say something, you go, whoa, whoa, man, dude, that's righteous. (laughs) And I thought, well, you don't even have a clue what that word means, man, do you? You know, he really didn't. He just thought it sounded good. Dude, that's righteous. It didn't sound kind of cool how he said it, you know. But I kind of had to explain to him, no, you're not. <laughs> you're not righteous, you know. Um, 
But it means good. It means right. It means just. And what Paul is saying here is nobody is good. Nobody. Not anybody. Not you. Not me. Nobody is good. So that begs the question, well, how good is good? <laughs> right? I mean, I mean, the, good is a relative thing. What are we talking about here? He says, none is righteous. That same word MacArthur points out is used of God in the Bible. It's used of Christ in the New Testament, that word righteous. And what it means is not just good. It means perfect. Perfecto. Perfect. If you're as good as God, as you're as good as Christ, you're perfect. That's the only standard that God is using. Anything else doesn't meet his standard. So really, it's, it's kind of simple. Either you're perfect or you're what? Bad. There's no, you know, line of demarcation there. There's no gray area. Well, I, I'm not, I wouldn't call myself bad, but I know I'm not perfect. Maybe I'm in between. No, you're not. That's his point. You're either perfect or you're bad. You're either perfect or you're sinful. There's no getting around that. There aren't multiple levels here. There's only two kinds of people, perfect and bad. Either you're absolutely righteous, you're perfect like God, or you're totally sinful. Because if you've even just got one sin, the Bible says that what? You've got them all. Matthew 5, 48, the Lord said, you therefore must be perfect. That's from Christ himself. You must be perfect. Well, how perfect do I have to be? You have to be as perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. <laughs> just to clarify, Jesus didn't want him to get mixed up. That's the standard. And you stop and you say, well, wait a minute. Wait, if, if God is, has this standard, how in the world are we ever going to meet it? If we have no ability, if, we have, if we're steeped in our sin and, and God is way out there in, in, in perfectville, how are we going to get there? You're not. That's the whole point. <laughs> You're not. You're unable to. You're dead. You have no ability within yourself. But the neat thing about God, beloved, our God is so, so loving this way. As soon as you acknowledge that, as soon as you're willing to say, you know what, you're right, God, there is no way. What am I going to do? Then he steps in. He says, hey, I've got a plan. <laughs> I've had a plan since the foundation of the world. I'm going to give you the righteousness of my son. Whoa. That's why you have to come through Christ to be part of the righteousness of God. You're either perfect or you're bad. And the only way you're going to get perfect is through Christ. Because you can't earn it. You can't make yourself perfect. If you're already not perfect... Right? I mean, that wouldn't make any sense. And people have an issue with that. They have a problem with that. Because when you look at the society, there's, there's relative goodness out there, right? I mean, 
you know, we may, may not be as bad as the next guy, or they may not be as bad as us. There's a relative goodness in our society. You see that all the time. You see that in the news. How the stories change sometimes. And then when the facts come out, well, you know, it wasn't that big of a deal. We didn't do that. You know, that's just the way it is. We want to rationalize our badness. We want to rationalize our sinfulness. And we want to rationalize God's standard. So as a church, we come up with little things. Not our church, but the church in general, you know. We're going to have a seeker service. Whoa, Okay. What's a seeker? Well, seeker services when those who are coming to seek God. Wait a minute. There's nobody that's seeking God. Well, no, but when the people come, they're going to be seeking. No, they're not. <laughs> Biblically, that's not correct. Because the Bible says no one seeks after God. No one. We've all turned aside. We've all come up short of the glory of God. That's the standard. His perfect Righteousness. You may be a little further along than your neighbor, beloved. And I've used this illustration before, but you know what? If I gave you <laughs> three months and said, you know what? In three months, December, we're going to all go down and we're going to stand on the end of Pier 39 and we're going to jump to Alcatraz. And between now and then, you have all the resources available to you. You can go get the best trainer, long jump trainer. You can do whatever you want to make sure that you can jump to Alcatraz on that day. I don't care what kind of training you go through. I don't care who is training you, the best Olympian, whatever, and you're, you're dedicating, you know, 12 hours a day to training, and we get there down on the end of Pier 39, ready, set, go, and we all jump. What's going to happen? You're going in the tank. You're going in the water. Nobody's going to make it to Alcatraz. It's impossible. I don't care what kind of training you've gone through. You may be able to jump 10 feet further than me, but you're not making it to Alcatraz. I'll guarantee you that. That's what it's like when we stop and we think of God's standard. The glory of God is righteousness. And there's nobody righteous like that. If you were, you'd be God. And that's what Paul says there. There's nobody there. There's no one righteous. This was from God's point of view. This is God's word he's saying. We have a problem in our own humanness because we see it from our point of view. We think somehow that we can do good. That somehow in our sinfulness that we can do enough good that somehow God will shed a little grace on us and then maybe together we'll get saved. No, it doesn't work that way. James Montgomery Boyce used an illustration and, and I just want to read it to you because it was such a good illustration in his commentary. He said, suppose that during the Vietnam War, a platoon of American soldiers was captured and they were interned by the North Vietnamese. Imagine further that at some point in that captivity, a Red Cross package arrived at the camp and it contained, among other things, the game of Monopoly. A donor thought simply that the soldiers would like to do something while they were uh, wasting away their long hours in imprisonment, and they thought maybe a game of Monopoly would help them uh, take care of the time factor. Well, the soldiers were glad to get the Monopoly game but not for the reason that the sender thought. They were glad to have it because it gave them money. 
with which to do camp business. Before this, if someone wanted to get something from another soldier, a cigarette, for example, he had to beg, borrow, or steal it. Now they could divvy up the monopoly money, and so some soldiers were distributed the gold, yellow, blue, green, white money, and they went into business. It seems always the case among a group of Americans that one person is naturally gifted as a capitalist, and this platoon was no exception. Because of that, one man was a genius at buying low and selling high, and in time he accumulated almost all the money in the camp. Suppose further that eventually there was a prisoner of exchange prisoner of war exchange, and a group of Vietnamese were exchanged for this group of platoon of Americans. A helicopter comes, picks them up, flies them to Da Nang, and then from there, it's only a couple matter of hours before they're back in the States on the California coast. Almost immediately, the successful capitalist soldier enters the first national bank of San Francisco and steps up to the counter. And the teller is pleased to open an account for him, says, we're glad to help our veterans, she says. How much do you want to deposit? He says about a half a million. And he pushes the $500,382, which is what's in a game Monopoly, over the counter to the teller. At which, of course, she pushes the little button, <laughs> not for, she reaches down, not for the deposit slip, but for the alarm button to call someone and take this poor deranged man away. The illustration is this. That is the difference between human righteousness on the one hand, listen to this, and the righteousness God requires of us on the other. Human righteousness is like monopoly money. It has its uses in the game, the game we call life, but it is not real currency, and it does not work in God's domain. See, God requires, beloved, divine righteousness. Just as in America, only U.S. dollars we can tender for for, uh, legal money. And that's so true. And yet, so many times, we want to kind of make our own rules. We're going to find, as we get a little further along in closing here, into Romans, in Romans 10, chapter 3, it's interesting because... Paul writes of Israel's failure in their walk with God. He says, since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God, what they do? They sought to establish their own. And they did not submit to God's righteousness. See, they wanted to come up with their own currency. But it wasn't a currency that God honored. And that's what we have to believe in our own hearts. When we come to God's word and we come to the Christian life, we can't just make up rules willy-nilly. Well, I believe this. I don't believe God would, you know, choose somebody and then not not allow them to come to him or whatever. It doesn't matter what your logic says. It's what the word of God says. And the Bible very clearly here on our first point, the corruption, that morally, our nature, there's none righteous, not even one. Very clear. We need to be reminded of that, beloved. And that leads, basically, to the second and third. We'll look at that next week. That we don't understand and we don't even seek God. But I don't know what you've been taught in the past. I don't know what theology is going around in your mind. But I just want to encourage you, go to the Scriptures. Don't go read a book on Calvinism. Don't go read a book on Arminianism. Go to the scriptures. It's very clear. 
It's spelled out for us very clearly. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that we're able to take our time and just kind of pick away at this passage each week. But Lord, we do know that the message seems to be reverberating the same each week, that we're sinners, that we're lost, that we're dead in our sin, that there's no hope for us outside of Christ. Father, I pray for each person here this morning. Lord, I pray first for those who are professing Christ. I pray that when they came to Christ, they understood their depravity. They understood their hopelessness, their helplessness, that there was nowhere else they could turn to but to Christ. Because that's genuine conversion. When you're at the end of the rope and you have nowhere else to reach to, and God says, here, take my hand, and you do, that's what it's all about. It's not trying to shimmy yourself up the rope with, with one hand while grabbing a hold of his and still trying. No, it's, it's utterly giving up because you're dead. You realize you can't do anything. If as a believer, we're holding on to some goodness in ourselves, thinking that somehow in our walk with you initially, we, we surmised and we, through our intellect, came to the point of deciding and choosing you. Lord, that that's just wrong biblically. And we need to make sure that we're in the faith. The Bible tells us that. God, we thank you for your grace that you, you bring us to you in a myriad of ways, but the point is that you bring us to you. And Lord, we, we thank you that even here today, if there's someone here who has yet to put their faith or trust in Christ, it's not rocket science. You don't need more information. You don't need to understand more about God. You need to give it up. You need to surrender. You need to yield your heart to Christ. Acknowledge your brokenness, your sinfulness. Put your pride under your foot and stomp on it and say, you know what? God, I need your help. He'll hear that prayer. Be merciful to me, a sinner. He'll save you gloriously. He'll open your eyes so that you can see the spiritual truth before you. Father, we thank you. We pray that you would just bless our day today. Father, help us to leave this place, these four walls, with the message of hope and grace that we find in Christ Jesus and share it with those around us, not only through our lips, but also through our lives. And Lord, we, we long for that day when you return. Father, the world seems to just be falling apart all around us. And it can be nerve-wracking at times. But Lord, we know that your sovereign hand is overseeing everything. And Father, you are totally carrying out your perfect plan. And so Lord, we do pray that you would continue to strengthen our faith in you. We ask that not only for ourselves, Lord, but for our kids. We think of the future that they may have here, even in this country, and it looks bleak. And Lord, we pray that you would, would renew our trust in you. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. 
Well, thank you for spending time with us here today on Graceful Truth, the ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. And we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. And if you would like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We meet at 2225 Euclid Avenue here in Redwood City. Directions are on our website, gracefultruth.org, or again, simply call 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. And again, we'd love to have you join us for worship. Simply call for directions or go to our website, gracefultruth.org. While you're at our website, make sure to check out the resource materials available from us here at Graceful Truth, including past programs of Graceful Truth that you can download for free. Gracefultruth.org is where to go. If you're writing to us, our address is 2225 Euclid Avenue. That's 2225 Euclid Avenue. We're here in Redwood City. The zip code is 94061. And again, our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We thank you for spending time with us today and trust we'll see you next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse.